tonight we are talking about being blessed. And the title is, But If Not. Um, I'm using some of the information from one of Brother Woodworth's Bible studies. That man is just a wealth of knowledge. The only problem I run into is when he starts using Canadian statistics. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, I've either got to go find my own U.S. statistics or I have to do something different, right? Um, I get it, because we all do that sort of thing. I'm like, who cares? It's Canada. I need to know about us. Uh, <laughs> that happens occasionally. Um, so the title is, But If Not. Who knows where that's coming from right away? But if not. Okay. So the year was around 600 BC, and Nebuchadnezzar, what he was the dreaded monarch of ancient Babylon, he's parading around like a peacock across most of the known world, and he's conquering everything and everyone in his path. And one of the nations that he devastated was Israel, and one of the, the cities that he completely destroyed was their capital, Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar not only leveled and burned their capital city, but his troops did everything to break the spirit of the captives. When I was reading through this and, and adding some things and changing some things, it was really clear that it felt like 2022 America. It was the spirit trying to break the Christian spirit in whatever way that they could. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar and his troops were trying to do. And they, they uh, corralled these people by the thousands, and they herded them to their homeland, Babylon. Now, the city had reached the height of its glory in the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. There were canals and temples and palaces and famous streets such as the processional fortifications like the Ishtar Gate, and then the Hanging Gardens, which were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was not only designed to inspire awe, walked in and you were awed. The world was showing them all this awesome stuff. But there was, it was also supposed to strike fear in the hearts of the captives as they were paraded into the city in humiliation. Their transport to this distant culture was the means by which this king had hoped to permanently dissolve their identity as a people. In order to conquer them, he needed to destroy their identity as the children of God, as the children of Israel. He needed to destroy that identity. It wasn't necessarily about blood. It was about how they thought, how they, how they uh, considered themselves in relation to the world. And so he was trying to break that identity, and then they, they could make him do anything they wanted. Babylon has always been the enemy of God's people in the scripture. The empire was founded by Nimrod, and it just cracks me up, because that was the man's name, but don't we kind of use that as like a Nimrod, right? So I'm not sure that we've always been using that correctly, because apparently he was a big deal. Anyways, he founded Babylon, and was called the Mighty Hunter, or um, Mighty Rebel, or Mighty in Sin in Genesis chapter 10. And the key to Babylonian worship has always been the exaltation of the individual to become his own God. So that what we today we would call humanism, that idea that I can be the God, I control my own life, my own destiny. Okay? 
we're not talking about will. We have a will, but humanism is now that's all my responsibility and nobody else can or should say anything about it. So Babylon um, was really promoting this. This was the idea. Each individual becomes their own god. The word Babel, which Babylonian comes from the word Babel. Babel means the gates of God, or the gates of God. And uh, this is what the Babylonian citizens were trying to do in Genesis 11. They were trying to build that famous tower that we hear about a lot, the Tower of Babel. We've all heard that story, where they're trying to make an easier man-made way to get to God. Because if they're, they're, if they're in charge of their own lives and things, then they should be able to get to the same place he is. They should be able to have that same power. Now, we know from the story, God brought confusion to the languages and scattered them, okay, so that they couldn't talk to each other. But that spirit of Babylon has been working tirelessly to reunify itself against God ever since. We still see the spirit of Babylon today. All you have to pretty much do anymore is drive down the road and look at a billboard in some places. Um, I was really tickled. I mean, it was was disgusting, but it was, I was tickled. <laughs> uh, one of our uh, district ladies, she's a sectional leader, I think she's a pastor's wife, I posted a comment on Facebook yesterday about these awful ads this one company is doing online. And they're promoting a female hygiene product and they are the the advertisements are just disgusting I mean they just talk about things in such a crude way that we would never I would you know you, you're shocked by them you're just shocked and she's like I will never buy from you because why do you have to be so vulgar in your you know ads and these aren't ads that are hidden behind a shelf or you have to be a certain age to see they, and they're not they're not sexual in nature. They're just disgusting, the way they talk about stuff. And I was, I'm laughing. I'm like, well, I've been thinking that for a while, but I wasn't going to go on Facebook and tell them I'm not buying your stuff. Um, it was pretty funny. But that spirit trying to destroy the kingdom of God, it's just still here. It may have lots of different names now, but it's still that same spirit that was in Babylon. Both the political and religious aspects of Babylon will continue to war against the true people of God until the world government and the world church are defeated by God, as recorded in Revelation 17 and 18. Babylon is a very powerful opponent, but Babylon will be defeated. What Nebuchadnezzar didn't realize was that he could only gain dominion over the people of God. So those folks that he conquered... He only got the opportunity to do that because God had a higher purpose in allowing it. If God didn't allow it, he couldn't have done it. Right? We, we understand that. When we're under the protection of God, only what he allows comes. And we're not even going to have the conversations about, well, then why does he allow? Them? Yeah. No, 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 no. That's a whole different thing. But, he, but God had a purpose for this. Long before Nebuchadnezzar ever defeated Jerusalem, God had already raised up a prophet by the name of Jeremiah to warn of judgment. God was going to purge sin and idolatry from Israel, and he was going to use Babylon to do it. 
for 70 years. God had already prophesied this. Uh, Jeremiah 25 and 11. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. That was well before Nebuchadnezzar ever became the king of Babylon. Now here he is fulfilling that prophecy. So God had already said, this is going to happen to you. Can't change it. It's going to happen. He didn't tell when it was going to happen. It's going to happen. So it sounds like a death sentence. Oh man, you're going to let us be conquered. But there was hope in the midst of all of that. Jeremiah prophesied that after this period of time, that 70 years, the exiled families would be released and there would ultimately be a return to Jerusalem as well as a restoration of their temple and their worship to the Most High God. They had to go through this to get rid of the idolatry and the sin that was happening. Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 14. For thus saith the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, you have to go through this, all right? But at the end of 70 years, I will visit you and perform my good work toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into this place, place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. So we know four things. First of all, the trial was allowed by God. But, number two, the trial was limited by God. Seventy years. Okay. Thirdly, the trial couldn't stop the purpose of God. Things happened while they were in Babylon that clearly showed there were still people serving God. Being there and being captive didn't stop the purpose of God. And fourth, the trial actually brought about God's purpose in the end because he was still in control. Even though Nebuchadnezzar thought he was in control because he was the king, he was not. The entire tactic of King Nebuchadnezzar against Israel was to intimidate by fear, that idea of making them forget their identity. So... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We all know them generally as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are the Babylonian names. Their Hebrew names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And they were among thousands of young men who were taken captive. Just changing their names, right? I mean, it's one thing. But after a long time, that gets on you, okay? And again, he's trying to tear down their identity and who they are. And although they didn't realize it, probably, they're about to become players in an ancient cosmic war between God and Satan, God's people and the spirit of Babylon. Three boys. I mean, think about it. Um, On any given Sunday, that could be Mark, Zach Warren, and Zach Kyle. Right? Just three guys living their lives. And suddenly, we're still talking about them thousands of years later because of the stand that they took. Um, 
In Daniel 3 and 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain site of Dura in the province of Babylon. So here he is. He's got this golden idol. Now, in order to tear down their identity, he needs to cut that identity they have with God, right? So they've got to stop the worship. The devil doesn't want you to just stop worshiping. He wants to change what you worship. We don't not worship anything. When you stop going to church, you still find yourself worshiping something, whether it's your entertainment or it's your music or it's your job. For some people, it's a job. I know a couple of people like that. I'm like, you need to get your... So for some people, it's money. Um, there are a lot of things that we worship with our lives. If you're not worshiping God, he doesn't want you to just stop worshiping. He wants to redirect, and that's going to change their identity here. He wants all of these people to worship this golden idol, this image of gold. Now, he was serious about his threat of destruction to anybody who didn't bow down. And we know that these three chose not to bow. Now, remember, we're not talking about three guys, three Hebrew guys in the middle of thousands of Babylonians. There were also hundreds and thousands of Hebrews there. They were all brought captive. So I'm not sure where all the other Hebrews were. Well, I know where they were. They were down on their faces. They were bowing. Okay. But these three chose not to bow. They had been taught, Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Jesus called that the first commandment, the preeminent, the chief the most principle of commandments. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Mark 12, 29, Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Those people who need to see it in both testaments before I'll believe it, there you go, you got it in both testaments. Those people drive me nuts. Um, Nebuchadnezzar had taken measures to make the worship of the image as palatable to all of his subjects as he could. He even played this beautiful music in a ceremony, right? Trying to, now, there's a whole different Bible study there about music and what it can and can't do as humans, but it will calm you down. I mean, you can use the right kind of music. We saw it with David and King Saul, where David would go and play certain kinds of music to help calm the spirit of Saul, you know, cool him off, so to speak. So he's using, he's got this big ceremony. I'm sure it was very lavish. If the image was gold, right, it's probably a very lavish ceremony. Playing this music to not only calm people, but probably loud enough to maybe stop any muttering or people who, you know, maybe some of those folks didn't want to bow. And they maybe they fought against it for a while before they finally bowed. I, you know, I wasn't there, despite what some of my students seem to think. Kids, you not. They act like I'm 100 years old or something. Um, and that one didn't even got me there. Um, we don't really, we weren't there, but you can imagine that kind of, think of presidential, um, what's the, not coronation, inauguration. Coronation. 
inauguration. Um, we're going to have a coronation here in, was it February or March in Britain? You know, these are very elaborate kinds of things. So, you know, when the government gets involved in something and they want to make everybody like it, they're going to put a lot into it. So this was a very impressive kind of a thing to try to tempt people and say, oh, it's not a bit, look how pleasant this is. Look how easy this is. Let's just all do this. It makes sense. All right. But these three Hebrew boys said no. They weren't the only Jew, Jewish captives in the crowd. But even though others bowed all around them, they stood tall and alone. It was when they refused to compromise that the wrath of the king was finally incurred. That's when he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter. That wasn't like a measure of it's 140 degrees multiply that by seven, that was a figure of speech to say, give it its highest intensity, okay? Um, Make it as hot as possible, make it a raging inferno kind of a thing. However, in the face of incredible intimidation and fear, their decision, their declaration is, we know God is able to deliver us. We know it. They didn't have to think about it. They didn't have to question it. I know he's able But if not, we're still not going to bow. But if not. They didn't know the miracle that God was getting ready to perform. I mean, they didn't have a Bible to read back and say, okay, what's going to happen next? There was no special oracle giving them direction, right? They just did what they knew was right. Daniel 3, 16 to 18 Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, they didn't have to stop and think about it and wonder. They had an immediate answer. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They were willing to make that declaration. You've heard people say, oh, if God will just, you know, help me here, I will step up and do X, Y, Z, or I'll make a deal with you, God. Well, that's not really how it works, right? Um, true people of God don't think, feel that way. Doesn't mean the thought doesn't come to us sometimes. We get in desperate. We're human. Something desperate happens. I'm like, oh, God, if you will just... I will start praying two hours a day. I'm going to become Sister Vesta Mangan in two months. It only took her 90 years, but I'm going to be there in two months, Lord, if you'll just, because this thing's happened. You know, maybe you're standing on the side of the road next to a car that's dead, whatever the case may be. We, we do get ourselves, but generally we don't actually mean it, right? As true people of God, we understand I'm still going to, try to pray more even if this doesn't work out the way I think it should. I'm still going to continue to pray. I'm still going to continue to worship, right? Um, that's because that's who we are as children of God. That's, that's what we do. Whether he does anything for us or not, we still worship. Um, it, was the, it was when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were willing to enter the fire without assurance of deliverance that the miracle happened. The men who threw them in the fire were slain, but the fire didn't touch these boys. It's like God's in heaven saying, those brave boys, I think I'll go down and stand with them a while. You know, let's just, I'm just going to go down there and 
see what that's like. Nebuchadnezzar said, I see four men, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. That's in Daniel 3, 24, 25. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. When Nebuchadnezzar called them, they came out of the fire by themselves. Okay, God didn't walk out with them. But they came out without the bindings that they had. The only thing they lost when they stood up for God was the binding that they had. They had freedom when they came out of that furnace. When they came out of the fire, everyone in Daniel 3.27 saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Folks, I can burn my hair with a curling iron. I mean, I'm that talented, right? Or my neck, or my hands, whatever, you know, and these guys walk out with nothing, you know, nothing happening to them. Um, Now, we live, so so this, this resulted right in a testimony to all of Babylon. It was a chance for them to hear how the only true God can deliver. We live in the last days when Babylon has made the furnace seven times hotter. You know, two years ago, even, I might have said to you, we are finally as bad as it can get. We got to quit saying that, right? Just, just two years ago, there were things I would have never thought I would see today. And here we are. Um, it's, the, the fire is hotter. We're beyond seven times hotter. Like we, are, we, are, we are just, it's just hotter. And um, it is an attack of intimidation and fear. Intimidation and fear. I went to the dentist this morning. Those of you that have been around for a few years or 30 know that come October, when it starts getting cool outside, I start having problems with my voice. I always have problems because I start the drainage. It's, it's, it's a sinus thing. It will stop in February or March. And then I get a couple of weeks before spring planting starts and then here we go again i'm at the dentist this morning i'm waiting to get in i'm sitting there and while i'm there i'm coughing a little bit and it's because of this so i took a kleenex i went outside to blow my nose i didn't want to do it there in front of the all the people cleared my throat some stuff up just to get it and then i didn't cough again because that's all i needed to do use the sanitizer. I put a mask on just in case somebody was worried. Ten minutes later, after my appointment was supposed to start, a lady comes from behind the desk with a little card and says, ma'am, we saw that you were coughing, and so we can't see you today. We've made you another appointment. And I'm like, because of my allergies? Well, you can come back in December, but this won't stop until February. I mean, if I'm still doing the same thing in December, you're going to send me away again? Well, I'll make a note in your file. We're afraid of everything, right? We're afraid of everything. I wanted to say to her, lady, I've been here like with a bad sore throat. Even the dental lady saying, ooh, you got a really bad sore throat. Honey, when you get home now, you need to use some 
rinse, and you know, I mean, that's who they are. But no, I, I coughed. Whatever. Fear. We're afraid of everything. Now, there's some things we should be afraid of. Spiders. Snakes. Right? There are some things that are appropriately afraid of. Most of us in this room appropriately afraid of things like tornadoes. I noticed I didn't say everyone in the room. Um, I saw something for you today online, by the way. It's a place where you can go. It's called a storm room. And it's basically like a big, huge jacuzzi. And the walls all look like, and the, the lights go up and down, and it looks like lightning, and you hear thunder, and it rains on you, and the, whip, the water's just to go. And I thought, pastor would be thrilled. But, but most people, you know, there, there are legitimate things to be afraid of. All right? Um, sometimes I'll be, you know, I'll be walking across campus at 7 o'clock at night. It's not like I'm a quiet little mouse who somebody could easily do something to without hearing me at least. But still, I, you know, I, I'm cautious, okay? That's not what we're talking about, though. We're talking about this intimidation and fear to cause you to change your life, change the way you live to live like they want you to live, not the way you choose to live. Whether you choose to live for God or not, they want that to change. Um, We can't guarantee that our life, our bodies, our health, our minds, our family, our home, our marriages, our children, our possessions, our finances, our friends, or even our comfort will not be viciously attacked by the enemy. Can't guarantee it. Any of those things are up for grab. In fact, good chance it's the opposite. We can almost guarantee that at least one of those is going to be attacked once in a while. Okay? It's called life. It's just, you know, it's, it's called life. But it does seem so much hotter today, and that's because Satan knows his time is running short. And we have to get beyond this idea of trying to think of when he's coming. Because we can't know. Two years ago, I knew people who were declaring it. Lord's going to come before this COVID thing's over. And I wished he would have. But here we are, sort of over COVID-ish, sort of over. Um, And he hasn't come yet. I know we're in the last days, but folks, the last days could last a long time, okay? Um, And so he knows, though, that his time is running short. He's facing eternal imprisonment without the possibility of parole. He works under this reality every moment of his existence, and he knows he's only got the time that he's got left to make this happen. So that wrath is stirred up against the people of God. We this says we are. We should be his worst nightmare. There are people sitting in some of our churches who are not his worst nightmare. He's pretty happy with them. He's leaving them alone because they ain't doing anything for God, you know. Um, But when you're living for God, then he's going to try to stop that. Intimidation and fear. I'm going to take your job. Suddenly something's happening going on with your job. I'm going to take your home. Something's happening, going to lose your home. I'm going to take your family. I'm going to take your kids away. I'm going to take, I'm going to kill your spouse. 
I'm going to move the family really, really close to to the other side of the country because they're going to get a job they can't. And we fear those things, except none of those things we should fear. Some of them are very, very sad. But as we live for God, we have hope for tomorrow. So they're not as sad as he wants us to make, make us think they are. Right? I mean, I got people over there that I could see again. Mama's over there, right? We, I mean, it's sad here, but we've got over there. Doesn't make me callous about it. We're going to be um, laying to rest Sister Pummel on Friday and lived for God. She was 98, I think, 96, 98, lived for God for 76 years, had the Holy Ghost, raised a whole town of children, a bunch of children, lots of grandkids. That woman has more grandkids than you could imagine. And um, always doing something for God. And it's going to be very, very sad. But I shouldn't be fearful of it or intimidated by it because, well, okay, we'll have the cinnamon rolls when we get there. Okay? So you're going to have more cinnamon rolls than we know what to do with when we get there. Um, we can't be intimidated and put in fear to stop living our life a certain way because of these things. Revelation 12, 10 and 11 say, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. The point of the story is not how the Lord delivers me or even if the Lord delivers me. The point is that I refuse to bow to intimidation and fear of the devil, whether he delivers me or not. But if not, Satan isn't the boss of you. Satan and the Lord of you. Unless you're letting him be. Nobody in this room is letting him be. All right? There's deliverance either way. Now, the blessings of God aren't measured by money or possessions or the number of times he's healed you or delivered you. The blessings of God can't be counted. The very experience of divine kindness, mercy, or goodness in and of itself is the blessing. If you have the Holy Ghost, you're blessed, period. We face the fear and, tempta- uh, fear and intimidation of Babylon. You need to bow. You need to bow to whatever it is. Bow to our political agenda. Bow to our financial institution situation. Bow to our school systems. Bow to how we want you to handle your medical care. Whatever it may be, we want you to bow. Doesn't matter how much of that's going on. As long as I stand strong and I don't bow, I still have that other blessing. Even if he doesn't deliver me out of that. You know, we, we don't really, we say we're ready for anything. And we're, we're not. I mean, if you stop and think about it, if, if some of the things that happen in other countries were to start happening to us as Christians... We're like, oh, man, we're starting to see this stuff against Christians. And it's terrible. Don't get me wrong. But it's nothing. It's literally nothing compared to what some people go through. And even then, they still can say they're blessed. You're imprisoned 
Everything you've owned is taken away. All of your children have been killed. You have nothing, and we're going to keep you in this prison for the rest of your life. This is people in China, okay? This happens to people in China. You're Christian. This can happen to you. It happens more times than we even read about in the news. But they're still blessed, and we don't always think about it that way. We tend to think of blessings as, oh, I got a new job. The Lord blessed me. Absolutely. Um, found, a, found a $20 bill in, in a pocket of my jean skirt I forgot I had. It's a blessing. Found the right car. I don't know if you have yet or not, but found the right car at the right time, and God made the way. That's a blessing. Those are like individual blessings. But I'm talking about that blessing of the Lord that just kind of lays on our lives. No matter what happens to us, we have that blessing, which gives us the strength then to say, but if not, I'm still blessed. I'm still blessed. I don't want to be the person uh, confined to a bed with an illness for the rest of my life. Of course not. But I have to be willing to say, I'm going to stand for what I know is right. And if something comes out of that that means that I end up sick like that, that's God's in control of that. I'm still blessed. We use that word blessing that way. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. That's that blessing of God. No matter what happens down here. I do what's right, I stand for what's right, and I'm blessed. The rest of it doesn't matter. It matters to me as a person, but internally, it doesn't matter. Bowing down, so he, he provides for situations in ways that we don't expect. He answers whether we expect him, it, it, when he doesn't answer the way we expect him to, when he doesn't give us that specific, well, he doesn't give us the thing we think we need. He doesn't do it when we think we need it. Um, he doesn't uh, heal a specific illness. Or he heals an illness, and then something else happens. Right? We see that. We think we're over it, and then something else happens. Um, all of these things happen. So bowing down to the world's pressures or Babylon's pressures or Satan's pressures of compromise or even even not just bowing down but even simple silence and acquiescence of it or just make saying it's acceptable it's okay does not mean you're going to be more blessed some people will want to bow down because there's less stress. I won't have this pressure on me if I bow down. I won't have to worry about this so much if I do what everybody says I should do. I just follow the crowd. I just do the same thing that everybody else does. I'll be more blessed that way because now maybe my colleagues or my unsaved spouse will be nicer to me. That's, that's got to be a blessing. There will be more peace in my home or at work or at school because I've just followed the crowd. I'll be more accepted by my family. But none of those things are reason enough to give in. By doing so, you actually may be losing the blessing overall. Because you start down that road, and before you realize it, 
you followed the world completely away from God. You went and moved into Babylon. You know, you've, you've went that way. So then maybe you have more money because you followed the crowd. You did what the bosses wanted you to do. I had a job one time that they wanted us to, there was pressure to lie about some things. Had to do with pricing and some inventory stuff. And I, you know, I would argue with them. And finally I had to leave the job. And the Lord knows all things. I had a job ready to go. Because when it started happening, I'm immediately checking with places, and I took another job, um, which ended up giving me better opportunities down the road. But I could have stayed. I could have said, oh, it's no big deal. It's not my, it's not my business. You know, oh, well, I, it's okay that we're fudging this stuff. As long as I'm not the one that signs it. Maybe I just step back and let somebody else sign it, and I'm just going to let it go. Maybe that might give me an opportunity to get a better job. I can get a raise. I have more money. Well, so you have more money fantastic. Um, Maybe you have more family time in your happy home because you're bowing down to the pressure. So you feel like you don't have all that arguments and things anymore. But if you've walked away from God in the process, you've walked away from the blessing that he has for you. Money isn't your blessing. Happiness isn't the blessing. Do you want peace in your home? Of course you do but not at the expense of your soul, right? There may not be peace in my home because of what's going on, but I can have peace in my heart because I'm not bowing down, all right? I was actually thinking about you a couple of times during some of this. Um, I've been seeing, you know, I've seen women all my life who've had husbands who, either they were both in church and one left, or one of them just got in church later in life, and seen that struggle of do I, don't I? Well, no, we'll just come on. Let's just go do this. I can't, you know, and I've seen, I've seen it go both ways. I've seen the women who just went along because they want that peace in their homes, but it wasn't but a few years down the road, and before you knew it, they weren't even coming around anymore because you start a path. Um, it's not those things that make us happy. It's, it's the blessing from God. It's the standing strong. The standing tall. November. Numbers. November chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. When we don't bow... We get that blessing. It's that time of year. You know, it's Thanksgiving time. We're having chili. I can't help it. Second year in a row, I begged. Um, And we start, oh, it's time to thank God for your blessings. And I see folks are on Facebook. Uh, Some of them do really good. I've never done this because I knew I wouldn't keep up with it. November 1, this is what I'm thankful for today. November 2, right? And some of them, man, they really keep up with it. And I'm like, I don't even remember to do birthdays on Facebook anymore. Uh, so there are, those are those things that they're thankful for. The family members, the great job, somebody was healed, right? And we are thinking in terms of those blessings, those individual things that we as humans tend to view as being 
this is a blessing, this is a blessing, this is a blessing, and they are. But we also need to be thankful for that blessing of God that lives on our life, whether we're the one getting those things or not. That's where we start looking at each other. Well, how come, how come you, he got that, and I've been needing that, but I didn't get that, so I must not be as blessed. You can't measure this blessing. It's not measurable. It's not quantifiable. I have the blessing of God on my life. I was going to say something about what all I could lose, but I won't speak it out because I'm trying to learn not to be that stupid sometimes. There are things we could lose and still have to be thankful for the blessing of God. It's hard to do as humans. But it's there. We need to not bow just because we think it'll give us more blessings. But if not, he will still take care of us. But if not. We, we've always said it. If he never does another thing for me, I still am going to serve him. If he never does another thing for me, I'm still blessed. If all I have to eat for Thanksgiving is... Raymond noodles and hot dogs. I'm still blessed because that's not what the blessing's about. Right? The blessing isn't about the porridge. The porridge wasn't the point of that story. Right? That was just the vehicle they used. Um, So, but if not. So while you are celebrating this Thanksgiving week coming up, I know everybody's in that frame of mind. My staff all are for sure. I, I totally am. I'm like, two more days of work. Two more. I took the week off. Two more days of work. Uh, and, but then I have this list. I have to do this, and I have to do this, and I have to do this. And I'm one of those, I've learned now, I make a list, and if I can complete 30 to 40% of it, I'm, I feel okay. Um, my blood pressure requires that. Um, I used to get upset when I didn't get it all done. So I have to stop doing that. But as you're thinking about Thanksgiving, all right, be, be mindful to be thankful of the blessing of God. Yes, the things he's given us, but just because there's something you haven't received that you thought you should have had by now or didn't turn out the way you wanted it to doesn't mean you don't have the blessing of God. All right? Happy Thanksgiving. I will see you all Sunday morning. Yeah, so glad to have you guys back. Um, glad you're back. Glad you're back. Sunday morning at 9.30, we have prayer.